welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good night, whatever it may be. Jacob Machado here. Father John, welcome to the podcast. Recording from the seminary. That's right. We are. Uh, there's two recordings going on right now in the seminary. Two podcasts. Sons of R's with an A, yeah. um, which I was on. And an R. Two A R S. Two or three years ago, me and Father Tony Davis were were hosting. Did you that. guys found that? No, that was uh, Father Ian Wintering uh, yes. and Micah Flores. Father right. Micah Flores founded it. Father Tony and I uh, kind of took over for the summer immediately after that, and then all four of us did it the next year. This is a uh, um, kind of in-house seminary uh, project. We've talked about it before. Yeah. I got some good stuff going. But today they're interviewing? My mother. Mary Machado. <laughs> so she is downstairs in one of the, uh, the conference rooms with them recording. Who knows what they're talking about? That's um, great. I told them I would, I would steal myself with a glass of whiskey before I listened to that one. Oh, yeah. And uh, I have no idea what they're going to talk about. I think they're going to ask her what it's like being the mother of a seminarian um, or I don't know. Kind of even maybe following up like what Father Sean and I talked about uh, on um, the question we always get: how do we how do we make our sons a priest? Right. And we said that's a bad question. Yeah. Um, how do we encourage our sons to holiness, and then they'll find their vocation is the better question. Um, so I'm sure they'll talk touch on similar themes. But yeah, um, yeah, it's uh, it's a good. I was thinking about that. I was like, wow, Mary's downstairs, and you guys just did that topic, but. Um, I also like your use of the uh, the verb to steal oneself. S T E E L. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So that's. I, sometimes I can uh, present myself as a uh, adequate English speaker. <laughs> Are you a fan of Steely Dan? You know the band. Uh, I can't say I'm a fan. I know the band. I couldn't name a song. I don't think I can either, but I do like the name. You know, so. All right, well, we'll see if you steal yourself here to the podcast. I see you have Augustine in your hands, so yeah, this is obviously... Uh, well, I'm cheating. Uh, today, we're going to talk about um, really what we talked about in class. I love it. Because <laughs> I think it was a good conversation we had. Um, but I think, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. You're, you wear like three different hats around the seminary. Yeah. Um, I am on the threshold of the uh, clerical state with right. ordination. Um, I'm still under you as uh, a student at the seminary. Right. So I'm under you as vocations director, uh, or as uh, as vice rector. I'm under you as a formator, not at your house. But right. I'm under you in some sense as uh, a seminarian candidate of the companions. <laughs> uh, and then we're doing this recording. Um, well, and together. you're my student, right? And as then a... I'm your student actively. So yeah. uh, it's a. Uh, Man, I want to draw the Venn diagram of that one. Yeah, no kidding. Well, you had a very nice, I would like to highly encourage, reach out if you have attempted to read The City of God and don't understand how the world and the church fit or make sense with uh, the City of God and the City of Man, because the church is not just the City of God, which I'm sure you're going to go into, but um, Jacob, I, I stole that from your presentation. Yeah. It was fantastic. Well, I stole it, and this is not stealing myself, right. uh, as in like bracing. Uh, I actually stole that. Venn diagram from I can't even remember his name. I think it's like Philosopher Teacher One Hundred Seven or something yeah. on YouTube. Oh, it's um, so great! I but, think, uh, yeah. So you're about to be uh, freed from uh, my uh, domain here pretty soon. You know, you're going to be a real well a cleric, but I'm still under. I'll still be under you as a teacher, right? Or, uh, still be under you as a 
candidate. I'll right. still be under you as a student of the re- seminary, right. as vice rector. That's true. So there's still plenty of that. Is this um, the last podcast before you are ordained? I think I've got one recorded with Father Mike at the beginning of February. Okay. So it'll be one, one more. This is like, so if you don't know, uh, Jacob is uh, several weeks away from being ordained a deacon, transitional deacon, um, which is just amazing. Yeah, it's, uh, it's real, real quick. Yeah. Um, I sent out kind of a RSVP form for friends coming uh, to stuff a week or two ago. Um, now, if anybody's listening and didn't receive that, I'm going to get a lot of uh, yeah, angry go. texts. But um, I started getting RSVPs for, for events and things, and uh, so that started making it feel really real. And then yesterday, I went and bought an ALB and AMIS. Uh, so that was really yeah. um, like, oh, it's happening. And then I asked uh, Deacon Daly to be my vesting deacon. Oh, great. And uh, so then it's like, well, man, now other people are involved. Yeah. Um, so I, but I'm keeping everybody on their toes till ordination day. Uh, Naturally, I uh, I volunteered to cook breakfast for the deacons <laughs> to be uh, at the companion's house. At the companion's house. So before every ordination, companion's house is about four <laughs> blocks from the cathedral. So we have a big breakfast, and uh, Jacob, uh, like his great predecessor, Father Mike Rapp, loves to break precedent <laughs> in all things. By but I, that's very generous of yeah. you. We're sitting there. Father Trevor offers uh, that he'll cook breakfast, and I pipe up. I'm like, well, I'll help. Yeah. And then Father John from across the room is like, you're actually going to get ordained. <laughs> <laughs> quit <laughs> quit detra- uh, distracting yourself. Um, no, yeah, so February 18th, pray for um, yeah. soon-to-be deacon Jacob Machado. And then we got uh, we have a great crew. We have uh, six Denver guys. Uh, well, seven with Redemptor's Mother. So okay, there's seven, seven. seven guys getting ordained for Denver this year. Uh, myself. David Hall, Ryan Mack, Zach Mahalchek, Owen Lamarta, Quote Quote Bowie, and Patricio. I'm not going to try and say his last name. Yeah. (laughs) I almost didn't. It's not going to end well. Um, Yeah, it's really, uh, it's going to be a beautiful day, and uh, you're ready. Let's go. I had a a dream last week that I was celebrating the Mass and woke up, and I was, like, pretty happy about that. So that was exciting. Um, And then, yeah, buying the Alb, like, we walked out, and I was like, what have I done? Yeah. So it's a bit of a emotional roller coaster right now. Um, but anybody who's faced a uh, yeah a vow, a promise, a, yeah. a commitment um, knows that it's yeah. There's a lot of, I, lot of uh, emotional yeah and uh, I guess personality and everything else going into it. So well, I will say that uh, you might be an emotional roller coaster, but there's there's very little evidence of that on the outside because <laughs> you got your dad's affect uh, and not your mom's hyper phlegmatic. Yeah, just totally uh, sanguine. Like, you're steely going um, into the diaconate. Yeah, no, I talked to Deacon Daly actually, and uh, I kind of shared that with him, and he goes, "Oh, but don't worry, you know, you're called." And I was like, "Yeah, that's what I was praying about this this morning at holy hour." And he says, "But the best part is." You're there. You're at ordination. And he's like, it's the most surreal thing. Like God's doing something. He's yeah. changing you. And he's like, it's so peaceful. It's so beautiful. So, uh, props. Thanks for those words. He's Stephen. a good man, and uh, he's going to be a good guide for you through the diaconate. Yeah. All right. Keep looking at your book. All right. You want to go? It. Let's go. Uh, so I am in eschatology. Yes. With Father John. Uh, this is a not a new topic, but a new class right. uh, for the seminary. The first time it's been its own class. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're kind of working stuff out as we go, um, situating ourselves with what is eschatology, um, which is the study of the last things. Um, effectively, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Um, right 
but also the the eschaton, the uh, parousia, the second coming of Christ. So all of these things uh, are kind of in the theo- theological topic of eschatology. Um, but what we talked about this past week was um, how we can live heaven or hell now. Uh, we enter we how we are living now is either living in heaven or living in hell. Um, so we paired um, uh, to kind of start the course. We had a couple weeks of just kind of pairing uh, literature with uh, some of the great kind of theology. And so this week it was. Um, uh, guys all took a chapter from Great Divorce, which is, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know is, is one of our favorite books, with uh, Selections from the City of God by St. Augustine. Yeah, predominantly chapter, or book 19, right? 19, yeah. 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 deals with the uh, City of God and the end time. Uh, yeah. Or and I was kind of, I just was kind of like, all right, so kind of present the, the Lewis chapter. Um, and the, the way we do the Lewis is just kind of... Um, all of these vignettes of these characters. If you haven't read Great Divorce, you have to. It's a must. Um, but you meet all these characters, and there's a bus ride from hell that takes you up to heaven, and they meet these souls in heaven. And it's basically this interplay of like why they don't want to stay in heaven. They're welcome to, but they don't. Because they're inordinately attached to their human loves, and they haven't been redeemed by God. So the point of it is our loves in this life, our carnal loves, when not redeemed, create hell for us. Exactly. And, uh, and so I said pair that with the City of God reading, and let me see if... Let me see what you guys can pull together there. And Machado, Machado was the first one up to bat, and he just hit a homer right away. Uh, I, I'm not just saying that because you're on the podcast, but <laughs> it was. I was kind of like, I don't know how anybody's going to follow uh, that. It was so good, and I could see the guys' faces like. <laughs> I was super impressed by everybody because this is literally the the class the week before. Father John goes, uh, so yeah, read your section from the Great Divorce and read through the the sections from City of God, and like you're going to present on the Great Divorce, kind of what the main theme is. And, you know, bonus points if you can kind of situate that within Augustine's thought in the City of God. And all of us are like, none of us had read any of the sections of City of God yet. Right. Most of us had read Great Divorce, and we're just like, this could be huge. Like, what are we going to do? Uh, but every guy went in and, like, found wonderful connections, great yeah. insights, like, across the board with all these characters, situating them in Augustine's thought. And I found uh, C.S. Lewis actually was pretty um, influenced by reading Augustine. Yeah. So his his view of the world, his philosophy, uh, really steeped in Augustine. So I think that's actually why it made it so easy, was yeah. as you read through, you're like, oh. It was excellent. Lewis I was surprised, uh, not because of the men, you got a good class, um, but because I was like, oh, this actually worked. <laughs> like, <laughs> this, is, this actually was a yeah. good a good. Uh, Even session. Jesus Martinez, the cynic. The was, cynic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Father John sent out an email with all of our topics, and he had titled each of the chapters with kind of their... Uh, uh, character in the book, and so mine was the I think the academic or the intellectual, uh-huh. um, and so he had, he put I was chapter five Jacob Machado the academic or whatever, and he forgot to put Jesus's name in, so it was just chapter seven or eight the cynic, the cynic. Yeah. and Jesus was the only one yeah. who didn't have his name on. So he's so. like, is this a passive aggressive like formation issue of like you think <laughs> I'm? Cyn-? It's just funny because he's the least cynical guy ever, but. Yeah, the cynic, he did a good job also. So, so anyway, I want to situate. We'll go to that, that Venn diagram um, that I stole from YouTube. Sweet. Um, but we talk, the, the title of St. Augustine's work is The City of God, which is a massive and super important work in the tradition. Um, we're working from a uh, kind of selections pulled uh, by Balthazar um, to kind of work through the, the major schema of the City of God. Um, so instead of reading the entire 
book. Uh, it's trimmed down quite a bit. This is a nice piece. Uh, Ignatius Press just put this out. Yeah. Uh, there's a nice introduction and selections. And basically what Balthazar does is he goes through the whole city of God, which is massive, and then just it's, it's kind of um, about 400 pages yeah. of maybe the 1,000-page book um, excerpts, and they're kind of organized under different themes. Yeah. It's really helpful. Almost like a, a popular reader of the city of God, but it's, right. still, it's still the source text. It's right. just not the entire 1,000 uh, pages. Mm-hmm. Um, so the city of God is the title, uh, which is contrasted throughout the entire work as contrasting with the city of man. And I think an error a lot of people make, uh, even reading it, but definitely if they've just heard of it, is the city of God, well, that's the church. And the city of man is, you know, everybody outside the church. Uh, and that's not really the the way we Can I read something look, from this? So we look at it, yeah. So, so as Father John's pulling that up, um, the city of God and the city of man are the two um, kind of existential states or situations mm-hmm. that you can find yourself in. Okay, here we go. This is the most famous line from the book, page 89. Uh, two loves then have made two cities. Love of self, even to the point of contempt for God, made the earthly city, and love of God, even to the point of contempt for self, made the heavenly city. Thus the former glories in itself and the latter glories in the Lord. Two loves create two cities. So Augustine is pairing, he's saying the the two cities are based on do you love yourself to the contempt of God or do you love God to the contempt of self? Yeah. So it's about self-love versus the love of God, and he, he pairs these as, as contradictions and, and creates these two cities based off that. Yeah. So, uh, Before we jump in, can you explain uh, how we interpret the word contempt to not be uh, self-loathing, self-hatred? Right, yeah. It's definitely not uh, a, a denial or rejection, um, self-condemnation of our human nature, but uh, all throughout the book he really talks about um, when we love ourselves to the contempt of God, it, it, we're made to, to live in relationship to God and to live according to God's order, um, that to desire things in him, to love things in him, instead of that egocentric kind of love. So the, the contempt of God is when we make ourselves God. Yep. Uh, the love of self, when, when that kind of adorns us uh, as an idol to ourselves, um, versus the love of God to the contempt of self means authentic humility not mm-hmm. not self-condemnation you know just that i see things in relationship to god and i love things in relationship to god so. yeah great so with that um i'm going to try and describe a visual <laughs> yeah i was gonna say this is gonna difficult. be this is gonna so be interesting we'll see how this goes yeah. uh draw this in your mind as i as i present um so the city of god and the city of man are mutually exclusive you cannot be in both the city of man and the city of god at the same time so uh, so jacob has his left hand he's he's gesticulating <laughs> The city of man. A circle over here. Circling silly man. Right hand. Circle over here. They're not overlapping. They're not overlap, but they, they come together. <laughs> yep. Okay. They, they touch, but they don't overlap. His index fingers are now touching. <laughs> I'm going to dictate this. <laughs> You're in one or the other. I'm very Italian right yeah, now. Yeah, I love I, it. I don't yeah, have any it. Italian blood, but I'm, no. I'm channeling my inner Andrea Polito. That's yeah. right. Uh, the, uh, so the city of God, city of man, mutually exclusive. You're in one or the other. And Augustine says, you can be in one in one hour and in the other the next. Uh, one in one day, the other in the next. Um, when you love yourself to the contempt of God, you place yourself in the city of man, which eventually, uh, if you die in that state uh, and choose that, you're eternally in the city of man, which is effectively hell, mm-hmm. detached from God, detached from the love of God, rejecting the love of God because of the love of self. So, mutually exclusive. Those are your kind of column 
eschatological, cosmic kind of, I don't want to say eternal, but like situated outside of time. They're Mm -hmm. more of a a state of being. And then you have the church and you have the state. Uh, So the political body, the the community of the world, of everybody in history, and the church, which is the uh, continuation of Christ in the world historically, right? And so the church is in the world, historical, present. And so the church and the state are two circles now on the top and the bottom, and they actually do overlap. So they're overlapping the city of God, the city of man, and each other. So Jacob shows left hand, city of man, right hand, (laughs) city of God, two circles that come together but don't intersect, and then he points to his head, draws a circle, uh, which is the church, and that, uh, that goes under and within both the city of man and the city of God, and then the state, as you said, yep. comes up. Does it touch it, or does nope, it? Nope, it overlaps. So it the overlaps. church okay. and the state overlap, because people within the church are still within the state, and oh. people still within the state can be within the church. So there's uh, a couple different options where a person could find themselves. Um, there's, there's more, from this diagram, there's some theoreticals that you look at, and like maybe that doesn't actually exist. But the main three places where you can find yourself in this life uh, is first and foremost in the church, so baptized, you're a Christian, you're in the church, you're also in the world. You're part of the polis, you're part of a family. We talk about um, our understanding of society in the, in the Catholic world um, and in the tradition. Even like the ancient world knew the family was the building block of society because the family itself is a society. So you, the, by the fact you're born, are in the polis, in mm-hmm. society, right? So you're in the church, by baptism, you're in the polis by birth, and now I can either be in the city of God while in the church and in the state, or I can be in the city of man while still being in the church and in the state. Right. And this is, I think, the big thing where people think, oh, the city of God is the church, is the saints, is, um, and it's, they overlap each other completely. But you could be in the church and be in the city of man. Yeah. And you see that with, you know, you want to call them judge, judgingly, bad Christians, bad pastors, bad bishops, whatever it might be, sinful people are in the church but have chose to love themselves to the contempt of God while being systematically, historically within the church. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a, a, a important thing to remember. Um, yeah, and, and again, we're talking about, um, I like what you said about the, the historical, or the, the historical is the up and down, the church and the state. The eschatological, the end times, the eternal is city of man, city of God, as it's bearing in on that moment. So like in heaven, the church triumphant, because the church is in heaven and yep. in purgatory and and on earth. So we call it the church church triumphant, church suffering and church, uh, or church militant, excuse me, on earth, church suffering and purgatory, church triumphant. In heaven, the church is yep. the city of God. Yep. And the city of God is the church. And that's the angels and the saints right. angels in heaven. Also. And angels so it's are actually the bigger. The yeah. church is bigger in heaven, and the city of God is the church in heaven. Right. Whereas on earth. On earth, they're not necessarily the same, but yep. they can be. Yep. That's why your diagram's helpful. Yep. And then you've got the third uh, common one, which is people who are outside of the church, so unbaptized, um, and not making any declaration on the quality of the person, but just outside of the church historically. So they aren't baptized, they aren't members. Um, but they're clearly still in the state, um, and then they are in the city of man if they're loving themselves to the contempt of God. On the other side, uh, which we read in um, Vatican II, is the how could can people be saved? 
kind of outside of the church is the question. And the church definitively says there is no salvation except through Jesus Christ, right? And Jesus Christ institutes his church. But the church says, you know, we don't know if God in some mysterious, mystical way provides people an option for salvation through Christ, which is through the church. And so I'd say that one's, they're, they're really not outside of the church if they find salvation in that. Yeah. They will be within the church because yeah. it's through the church, through the mediation of Christ's incarnation, the church he's established, the Holy Spirit acting in the church now. Um, salvation would then be in the church. So I think we can't really, I think we'd say they actually are in the church um, in, a, in a way that we don't necessarily know as normative. Um, but that's a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> so the main three, outside of the church, um, in the state, and in the city of man, or in the church, in the state, in the city of man, or in the church, in the state, and in the city of God. Right. And so city of God, city of man then, isn't like, oh, I've been baptized, or I've professed Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm in the city of God. I can go out and choose love of self today uh, and put myself in the city of man. And that's why, great, we've got confession. You know, yeah. <laughs> get ourselves yeah. back in the city of God. But with that, this is where the C.S. Lewis characters come in. And these vignettes show people who have placed themselves into the city of man for a variety of different reasons and choose, effectively choose hell because they aren't choosing to enter into that eternal uh, city of God, which will be the church uh, in front of Christ, uh, in front of God. So... I'm just going to throw it to you. What were what are some of your favorite vignettes in here, and why? Oh, and how yeah. do they show? Uh, I think because to, to concretize them into our lives now, how do they show what we do uh, as fickle human beings? Yeah, oh, so many good ones. Um, so you did the one on the bishop, which I think is like chapter four or something. Uh, five, I think. Chapter five. Uh, so it's an Anglican bishop, presumably, but he's just a total intellectual, um, academic character. But it's just all intellectual pride. And it's just, he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't, there's no sense of like um, the heart or a personal relationship. It's just, and he starts to kind of demythologize Christianity and writes these papers and just sees himself as contributing to an intellectual society and it has nothing to do with truth or reality. Um, very interesting character. There's the woman who doesn't want to be seen. Um, and she just, you know, she's adorning herself in these things, but just kind of doesn't want to be looked at. Um, there's the, uh, the, the kind of the last few chapters, like seven, eight, nine, or like, uh, or I guess maybe 10, 11, 12, whatever they're the last few, uh, really striking characters. Um, there's a mother and her, who loses her child. There's a man who's a murderer who, whose friend is just kind of can't believe that he's in heaven. Um, there's, uh, another, there's a wife as well, who's just struggling to kind of relate. There's a communist guy. There's, uh, the, probably the most famous one, I think we did a podcast called this, but The Dwarf and the Tragedian, yeah. which comes at the end. There's the guy who's struggling with lust who has the little lizard on his shoulder mm-hmm. who the angel just wants to kill. Um, amazing. I mean, the, the images are... So yeah. I just named basically all of them. But, uh, <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's I would the, say the, the, the Tragedian and the Dwarf is my favorite. That's about duplicity and resentment. Yeah. Um, let's dive into that one. How do we see that in somebody's life uh, play out? How do I... How do I as the dwarf and the tragedian enter the city of man in my life. So I think what's interesting about Augustine and his particularly city of God is written uh, at the end of his life. It's kind of his last masterpiece. I think it's written like in the last 10 years of his life. So like 1412 to 1420, something like that, or excuse me, 1412 to 420. 
Um, the Roman Empire is being destroyed by the Goths. Um, Alaric has sacked Rome. Everybody's just horrified by the end of civilization, which is just happening. And so there's all kinds of things. Uh, and he sets out to kind of explain why Christianity, the conversion of Rome, why this is still happening, why it's not to fall to Christians, but also to Christians to explain why that it is um, indeed happening. Yeah, because what are the two questions? The main two questions there are, uh, Rome says, look at this upstart new religion. Mm-hmm. They've stopped the worshiping of the pantheon of gods, right. and now we're being defeated. Right. So they're clearly idolaters who have put our empire at risk. But then the Christians have this idea of the triumph of Christianity, um, and, and if, they're, if we're attaching kind of a worldly um, conquering or a worldly city uh, as the triumph of Christianity, well, then why are we still also being right. conquered? That's it. So Augustine sets out this, uh, this masterpiece um, that he writes over a number of years. And uh, so, but the main point of the book, in my opinion, is that um, the desires and love, he's playing that out. He's always interested in desire because of his own experience of conversion, as we read in the Confessions. Um, but specifically the relationship of love and worship. So right worship is a central part of uh, how he views love. So when we talk about the love of God, we're talking about the worship of God as well. So worship is something that we don't really think about, but the kind of egocentrism and living in hell implies a rejection of, doing, of the true worship of God, the worship of oneself. So all of these um, kind of bear then on Lewis's characters who are lost in their loves and, again, inordinately attached is Ignatian language to say that they they love their loves, but they love them the wrong way, in the wrong order, and not in relationship to God. And if you don't have a love of God and a right worship of God, then then these things become the gods of our life. That didn't answer your question because I, <laughs> because I forgot it. Yeah. So the tragedian is, ah, okay. uh, the, the vignette of this is you've got um, this the dwarf behind him is the soul, is the right. actual the, the, the man. And he's, um, his whole life, he's been kind of playing a tragic character that everybody else uh, is not giving him the love he deserves or the respect he deserves. And he's always kind of guilting people into loving him. Uh, he wants love so much, but he can't just receive it as gift. He has to kind of force it through guilt. And he plays this tragic character. And so the trage- tragedian uh, is kind of a puppet to him that is the the projection that he puts out that the world is in. And when he's in um, this heaven or, or kind of like the foreground of heaven, he meets uh, his wife uh, who has died and has entered into heaven. And he, they're having a dialogue. And she's trying to invite him out of this cycle of being the tragic victim uh, to receive the real and true grounding love of Christ. And so now, how do we do that in our lives? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so the, the dwarf is living in resentment and unfulfilled in his jealousy because he wants to share Sarah, right? He, he, he has to share the affection of her, uh, and just refuses to see her love as an abundance, like it's pouring out. She has all; she's kind of a Marian figure, like she has all these kids and animals and everything that she loved in this life, and he just hates that. And it creates this tragic figure that is kind of a um, kind of a manifest- manifestation or playing out of it as this tragedian who's on a chain with the with the dwarf, which is himself. But there's this line that I think is very Augustinian um, from Lewis, and he says this: "But what we called love down there on earth." 
was mostly the craving to be loved. In the main, I loved you for my own sake because I needed you. Mm. So the dwarf and the tragedian, and it, it's about the reconciling of this man um, and getting rid of the absurdity of, of this tragic figure that he literally plays out in dramatic form because he loves his self-pity more than he loves the reality of things. Um, and so that is the deception. That These are all for the... Good, the great divorce is all forms of self-deception in love. And we really think that we love well. Yeah. Like that's one of the, the kind of preeminent tenets of, of this kind of Christian world that we live in. Like we think we're all really nice and really loving. And Lewis is saying, what you call love right now is mostly the craving to be loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the main, I loved you for my, for my own sake because I needed you. Elsewhere, he says, it's, it's hard to love someone for very long. To pe- or excuse me, to make ha- make each other happy for very long. Like our love just doesn't satisfy. So we need the love of God. Yeah. So. Um, I think of uh, Sheldon Vonnegut wrote mm-hmm. uh, A Severe Mercy, and it's kind of a biographical, autobiographical story of, of he and his wife's love, their relationship, and then their eventual conversion to Christianity, kind of that journey. Um, when they convert to Christianity, she kind of runs ahead of him, um, and she kind of runs, uh, repents quicker and more fully, and, and enters into this love of God that becomes first in her life. And that Sheldon Vonnegut feels is a bit of a betrayal of their own love in the moment, because when they first met each other, they called themselves like high pagans. They were really nothing. They just kind of had high intellectual ideals of love, and so they formed around them what they called the, uh, the shining barrier, which was going to be impenetrable. Nobody could come and get between their love of each other. Um, they were going to protect their love. Uh, and Christ comes in and demands the first place. And Sheldon resents his wife in that moment for loving God more than him. Um, and that he can't see that actually in loving Christ, she will love him more and actually love him, um, as opposed to loving the love that they have um, and, and keeping within that kind of self-enclosed barrier. So I think of that as, as an idea of we can often make an idol of our own love. Yeah. Um, and then, but the problem is none of us are God, so we will betray that love. And then what do we do with that? When somebody no longer gives us the affective you know, feeling or gives us... Um, you know, the, the companionship or whatever it may be that we loved them for, now we no longer love them and we kind of like toss them aside or we're jealous that they love other things. Those are, I think, the two ways it plays out. Absolutely. We don't know what we want. We don't know what we actually desire. And we can't always trust our desires um, and so to follow them as loves because lo- love is just is the pursuit of desires in so many ways. That's what moves us. Uh, beauty stirs desire and, and desire is what kind of drives us into loves. But yeah, when everything is detached from the love of God, um, we live in a in a very complex um, kind of nexus of drive and desires and things that are moving us in different ways. One of the things that I love about Augustine's vision of desire is is how good and beautiful it is, um, and that loves we we love God through things through the things of this life. Um, we just had two nice espressos here. Like we can love these espressos, but 
we can't love them in themselves and grasp at them and then kind of start to kind of build our life around this espresso, which is tempting to do if you live in Italy. <laughs> um, it has to be something that we, we, we love God through uh, the created loves of this life, but they have to be oriented to that. Yep. And that's, that means we can't grasp or possess them. So I want to dive into, uh, this one is kind of the, the, the love of the heart or the, the desires of the heart um, and companionship and, and desiring others' love and affection for us. Uh, the one that I had to look at was the, the academic, the mm-hmm. bishop, uh, and his love was thought. His love was his own intellect. His love was predominantly the ability to think, to have ideas, but he has no end for the ideas. It's just the freedom to think. And so he loves thinking so much um, that he eventually rejects revelation, rejects Christ, because he just wants to be free to think of, well, it could be like this, it could be like that. What if the world was this way? What if the world was that way? And I think what's really striking about his character is his friend, who he's kind of, the, the whole drama of the great divorce is kind of like playing out at like the, the front field of heaven, um, where these uh, the souls that were living in hell kind of have this reprieve to go uh, up to heaven at the, the, like the four gates of heaven. Um, and they don't know what they're encountering. Um, and it's this chapter with the, the academic, um, which the quote, the uh, truth. Re- reality is harsh to the feet of shadows. Yep. Reality is harsh to the feet of shadows. And so reality of heaven, uh, the, the water, the, the trees, the apples, the grass, um, is painful to the shadows of these souls that are, are not, um, they're shadows of, of their real self uh, because they have chosen sin. And sin yeah. disintegrates us and makes us less, right? And so that's where it's, the drama is playing out. And he's talking to a friend who has entered into heaven and comes back to him and is seen as like he's, he's radiating the light of Christ through his being. And this friend, this bishop who's on his little tour, uh, can't see the light radiating from this guy. He can't see the good. He, he won't trust this man because he's always looking back in on his own thoughts, his own ideas, his idea of who this other guy is, rather than even receiving him now is like, oh, you've changed. And he calls him, he's like, yeah, towards the end of your life, you were getting pretty narrow-minded. Uh, so can't, obviously, you were wrong. Yeah. <laughs> There's no real heaven or hell. Right. Uh, and the guy says, what are you talking about? Like, that's where we are. Where do you think you came from? And this, this bishop academic goes, oh, now you think of it, I haven't actually really, uh, we don't really call it anything. Uh, and the guy says, we call it hell. <laughs> and so there's just this, this inability to say like, oh, there's actual reality here. Everything is thought. And I think this is a real uh, modern, postmodern um, error that we come into. Like I need to be able to think, uh, create in my mind these imaginations, and I say they're real. And this man ends up going back to hell why? Because he has to present a paper on the thought of Jesus Christ if he had been able to mature. He says it's a tragedy that he was cut down in the youth of his life because every man we know, uh, every man comes to a maturation of his thought over time. And so the real tragedy of the crucifixion is that the mature thought of Christ never entered the world. And I need to go present this paper to, to invite my listeners to think, what would Jesus have taught had he been able to live to 50, 60, 70 years old? Yeah, and it's just this this complete rejection of history, of salvation, of reality, the reality of God, of revelation, for the sake of like, no, my ideas. Um, so I think it's funny you gave me that one because 
I think I'm susceptible to I, the, I the imaginations. I didn't think about that, um, <laughs> but I did love one more line from him. Um, he invites him to stay in heaven, and he says, I, I'm perfectly ready to consider it. Of course, I should require some assurances. I should want to guarantee that you are taking me to a place where I shall find a wide sphere of usefulness and scope for the talents that God has given me and an atmosphere of free inquiry, in short, all that one means by civilization. And he says, no, uh, said the other. I can promise none of these things. No sphere of usefulness. You are not needed there at all. Talking yeah. about heaven. So the city of God is um, ultimately a place where um, when we love God, we reside there. Uh, we abide in him. Uh, and it, and the, the presupposition to that is it can't be on our terms. Yeah. It can't be according to our measurement. We can't try and fit God into a world of ours that's filled with our own pursuit of desires, our own loves, these things. It just never works. Um, it has to be the exact opposite, which is that the ego is cast out and it's just standing before it in total receptivity uh, of the love of God as he communicates it. Yeah. Not uh, so much as we love him. Augustine at the end of book 19 um, says, talking about what, what will this vision of God be like? And he says, um, God will be known to us in such a conspicuous way that we shall each see him by the Spirit in ourselves, in each other, in himself, in the new heaven, and the new earth, and in every created thing that will then exist. And at the same time, by the body, we shall each see him in every body, wherever the eyes of the spiritual body are directed, with their penetrating gaze. Our thoughts, too, will then lie open to each other. There, there we shall be still and see, see and love, love and praise. Behold what will be in the end without end. For what else is our end but to reach the kingdom that has no end? And so it's the seeing, uh, this is the, the reordering of loves, to see spiritually and physically uh, God in all things because we are loving him first. So we will see God in the other. I think of like Mother Teresa, you know, how, how do you do this? How do you keep working? I see Jesus in every person I meet. Um, and so that's entering into the city of God in this life, you know, correcting our vision, both physical and spiritual vision now is how we enter into um, this participation of, of the city of God, seeing all things uh, in a way that praises God, knowing yeah. all things in love, beholding God, beholding God and praising God. Yeah, I would, uh, I would say to listeners on this, maybe this is my final point here, but um, it's just not enough to be invisible membership in the Catholic Church. Um, it's just not enough to be baptized. Go to Mass if you can, uh, you know, pray before meals. Uh, but, but the truth of your human existence finds fulfillment not just in a sacramental membership in the Catholic Church. Uh, that, is the, that is essential, but that's not, that's not it. What it's about is truly living in the city of God, which means that your heart is lifted into heaven, which is the heavenly city, the heavenly Jerusalem. This is the image that we get of heaven from the book of Revelation, that it's this glorious city, right? If you saw rings of power, they, they create Numenor to look like this perfect kind of city. Uh, this is what we all dream of. Even in the great divorce, there's this city on, on the mountaintop that's kind of tucked away behind this eternal sunrise. Um, it's always, the sun is always about to break and rise. It's that perfect moment in the morning, and there's the city. And to desire to be in that city, to live in that city, while you're in uh, as a pilgrim on, on earth, is to say you can spiritually live in a place of stability and peace and freedom 
He talks about peace in the section is the tranquility of order, famous yeah. Augustinian line. Your souls can be ordered and experience the tranquilness of living in a perfect city, um, all the while being uh, at peace and living in, in the pilgrimage of this life. Mm-hmm. And so we have to desire that. And I think that's why it was a great great exercise for us to do as a class, and I'm happy we're talking mm-hmm. about it. I think the two errors uh, we generally make as members of the church now is um, we despair of that possibility, and we look around and we see everybody kind of doing their own thing, and they seem to be enjoying their loves. And I'm just like, I don't know if I really trust God. I don't know if he's trustworthy. Um, and that's the original temptation of Adam and Eve to not trust the goodness of the Father. And so I say, you know what? I'm out. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go live in the world. And in doing that, I enter the city of, of man because I'm just like, I, I don't trust God. Uh, I don't trust him enough to, to see him. Uh, the other option that we can do in the church is say, I look at that world and I say, hmm, that's messed up. And now I want to live in this world where I'm in the city of God and in the church, but not in the world, not in the state. And I just kind of want to flee that. I want, yeah. to, I want to get away. I want to be a hermit, completely detached from society, uh, to just love God and, and wait it out until I can die and enter heaven. Um, yeah. and, and I don't think that's the proper uh, vision either. And I think the character of um, the lustful man with the lizard on his shoulder representing his lust uh, and the mother— who lost her son, are great examples of the invitation to let your love be purified. And so those two, really quickly, and we'll wrap, uh, the, the one man has uh, uh, this lizard on his shoulder that the angel comes down and says, will you let me kill it? And he's like, ah, you know, yeah, he's kind of a problem, but yeah, I can deal with him. And the angel's like, no, will you let me kill it? And he's like, you know, actually, you think, like, he's not really acting up right now. I'm fine. I can deal with it. And just, can I kill him? He's fine. He's fine. He goes, okay, fine, I'll let you kill him. And then the angel kills the lizard, but then the lizard kind of re, uh, reappears as the stallion, and the, the man jumps on and rides off uh, in, into the, the field. And this is a representation of like the purification, the killing of the disorder of the desire mm. to ordering the desire properly. The desire will be the stallion that you can ride off on because it's ordered properly, rather than this little thing that just kind of like holds you down. Uh, and kind of keeps pestering you. So there's the desire there. Uh, but then the, the mother's love of her son is so great that she's angry at God for having taken him. It's the, the, the idea is the son died. She wants to be back with her son. Uh, she wants the son to come where she is rather than going to where the son is in heaven. And she is angry at God for not giving her son back because her love for her son is so great. But it's a possessive love, uh, again, for her, for her own sake, a love of her for, uh, to the contempt of God. And so the invitation for her, which is kind of left open-ended, we don't know if she accepts or not, um, is to actually reorder that love. And that could then be even more. Imagine if, if, the, if the disordered loves of lust can be reordered properly to the, um, the true eros of, of self-gift that you know John Paul II starts to talk about in Theology of the Body, that you can then ride off into the field on the stallion and what would the love of the mother transformed mm. be? And I think of like a Monica, St. Monica with Augustine yeah. here, of like the love of the mother to the point where they become saints together, sharing in this delight of God together uh, rather than just a grasping. Um, so that's what I end. I like Mary I Machado and soon to be Deacon Jacob <laughs> Machado. Uh, there's a third way, which we did a lot in the 80s, uh, where we sang, let us build the city of God. <laughs> Just the stupidest song 
possibly ever, where our tears will be turned into dancing. Right? If Goble was on the podcast now, <laughs> he'd, he'd start firing it off. But <laughs> you just think about that. Like the, that was really how we think. That song expresses something of kind of the the beige Catholic project, which is like we can build the perfect society. Let us build the city of God. And it's like that is so fundamentally wrong because the city of God is something that ha- God has to do within us. And if you're if you're looking at the the lizard on your shoulder, a lizard of lust or whatever it might be, and you're saying, I don't want the angel to kill it, a lot of it is surrender and prayer. Like pray for the grace for God to uh, transform our loves. Uh, first to reveal to us the things that we love more than him. And that might be really good things, such as your children or your spouse, like back to your Sheldon Van Aken example. All of these things will torture the heart and will lead to some kind of self-deception unless they're brought back into the love of God. And just when we think we lose them, we get them in a full and complete way. Yep. Great. Uh, well, thank you for letting me uh, cheat, uh, study for class on the podcast. I'll give you a little extra credit for and, that one. And uh, maybe, uh, you know, I just will keep keeping uh, podcast topics. You should write this paper. <laughs> Probably will. I also do like the idea of writing on the existentialist, but I don't know if I've got time. Okay, so we're, <laughs> we're riffing an idea here. We'll kind of float this. We're looking at launching a substack uh, in the next month or two, which would be, uh, selections of writings that we're going to do. We'd probably send out a monthly email, come right to your box. Um, and it's talking about, it's reviewing the podcast from last week, tying into different things that maybe we're reading or interested in, but then maybe some small writing projects that uh, that the hosts are going to just try and do. There's just things that people want us to talk more on, elaborate on. We need to clarify more, and it gives a, a different form to do that. So if that's something you're interested in, um, send us a little note because uh, we're trying to figure out the best way to do that. Um, so... Yeah. Uh, let's move on to shout outs. Sorry, yeah. yeah. I see you But, I, but you, should write, you should write that. You I'll, should I'll write, write that. I'll turn it into class. And then again, just double and dip and send it onto the, the substack. Totally so brilliant. Just, I love uh, it. Always overlap your work. You do less. That's right. You got, you're going to be a great priest. You got it all figured out. All right. Shout out Seth Baldwin at the Jump Two Institute, his wife Katie, and his son Ambrose. Uh, met this guy through Andrea. He's uh, doing graduate studies at JP2, and he's just a total awesome guy. He's a stud. I love love being around him, and I look forward to seeing you, Seth. And I found out from Andrea that you listen to the podcast, so I just want to say thanks for listening. All right. I'm going to shout out uh, yeah, Deacon Daly. He's going to be best of me. Um, he's uh, he's not the principal. He, he works at John Paul the Great. He does, yeah. Um, and he's got uh, facilities. So looking forward to uh, yeah, just learning from him, uh, his wisdom as deacon. Uh, shout out to him and his family. And then uh, I'm heading out to World Youth Day this uh, July, August with Our Lady of Lords Parish. All right. And uh, we've got a pretty sweet group. That's official. Um, so I'm just going to shout out that whole group. Um, yeah. Like we've got high schoolers, like college, young adults, priests, deacons. It's just going to be a, a real fun Unfortunately, trip, so. you got to go with Sean, but you know. Yeah, well, Sean, somebody's got to lead. That's know, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not leading the trip. I just get to jump on. Exactly. So. You get to be the fun uncle for like one more year. One more year. Yeah. Shout out to the whole Lord's crew going to uh, World Youth Day. Looking forward to traveling with you guys. Well, thanks. Uh, this is a great topic. I feel like I kind of was stumbling into it a little bit, um, but I really appreciate you bringing it and all your hard work. You're a great student. A plus today. What's the email? Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.